ESL Teacher Hot. I'm Russell. And I'm Milena. Milena, choose a number between one and a thousand. Wow, um, fifty-eight. Okay. What's your strongest sense? Sense of humor. I agree. What one word best describes your father? Uh, tan. My father is very tan. Okay. I always think that when I think of my father because I I am not. Tan. Are you tanner than me? I'm very pale. I'm paler. I don't know if you're paler than I am. I'm as pale as a baby's bottom. Some you're... babies are not pale. It's a little racist, actually. You're hairier than me, so it's difficult to say. Mm-hmm. Well, you listeners probably are wondering, what the hell are we doing? Uh, we've decided to begin our podcast with a warm-up, just as a, a good language lesson, and probably not just a language lesson, just a good lesson should start a warm-up. Yeah, what, what is our podcast, anyway? Yeah, what, 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 what are we doing here, anyway? I asked you first. Uh, our podcast is made by two teachers who are passionate about what they do and in no way consider themselves experts. So we're not here to tell you what to do, we're here to tell you what we've done and what worked. Yeah, and... Mainly, we're here to talk and have fun. And hopefully you will have fun listening as well. Yeah. Why did you decide to start a podcast? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I did not expect <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's in the book. It's question 537. Maybe maybe we should say, uh, this book is... Oh, yeah. You've read it. Let me see. 1001 Conversation Starters for Any Occasion. The Complete Book of Questions by... Gary Poole. Yes, so uh, hello Gary, if you're listening, we really like your book and we intend to use it a lot during our classes, especially with more advanced students. It's excellent. Oh, and Gary uh, prudently left this page blank. It's always a nice touch in a book, I think. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, what are we doing today? Today, Plans. Uh, two, three sections. Three. Mm, three, yeah. So the first one is already behind us. It was our warm up. Second section is we want to discuss uh, our week. So what funny things happened? Uh, what worked? Uh, what didn't work? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, uh, it's kind of like a deluxe edition podcast. We have we have sections. We have uh. <laughs> useful um, information we'll give you. We have funny things. This is amazing. Some funny things. Uh, and we maybe we'll ask some more questions as well from this, this question book. Um, Milena, I saw this one I'm going to ask. And you can scroll through the question book as well, dear listener, and ask yourself. No, but what I meant is that Milena can also um, scroll through the question book. You know, probably uh, you, you noticed um, that my eh sound is not very strong. Is it? Is it also not very uh, strong when I say your name? Does it sound like I'm saying like Milena? Milana? Milana. Probably it sounds like like ah, 
like Cat, Milan. <laughs> it's hard to say. I got used to the, your way of saying my name, but it's Does definitely it sound slightly different from. Slightly different, yeah. Polish eh is stronger. More eh. I don't know how to say eh stronger than this. I, it's uh, it's a very interesting. I will just think of it as uh, a, as if I'm like uh, David Bowie or or the narrator what? from the Monster Mash, like Milena, like uh, David Bowie and Labyrinth. That's exactly how Polish people say my name. Yeah, they they are probably. Probably that that movie was big here in Poland, Labyrinth. No. Yeah, I, I think it was. It's <laughs> like it seems like one of those things. Okay. Milena, when are you shy? Are you ever shy? I am shy when I have to answer my door or my phone or my intercom. I usually don't do it actually. I wish you could do it, but even if you answered, actually our intercom doesn't work properly and I don't really feel inclined to uh, try to fix it in any way. I just enjoy the excuse. Like, oh, why didn't you answer your intercom? Like, Sorry, it's broken. Instead of saying, like, couldn't be bothered. Although if the intercom worked, I guess you could answer it and then um, not let them speak. in. I mean, what would the... Yeah, or even just not speak. What would the consequences be, really? They could never get in, you know? They would probably them. never come back. Who are they? They don't know who you are. Well, probably they are no one you know. Otherwise, they would have said beforehand that they were coming. So why are they coming to me? I don't know. We never answer, so we don't know why they're coming. Yeah. For help, for uh, guidance, for to give you money. To convert me to Jehovah's Witnesses. Do they have that here in Poland? Yeah, it's very big. What is it called in Polish? Shvetkovie Yehovah. Shvetkovie Yehovah. 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 Uh huh. Which means okay. exactly Jehovah. So come on, ask me one. Okay. Yeah, Russell, you seem to be really digging that book. Uh, Gary. Oh, sorry. Yeah, take Gary, Gary would be very uh, proud if you had the opportunity to start your own business. What would you start and why? Hmm. I would start a business. Um, making disguises for dogs. Um, you would, yeah, so you would, uh, dogs would, would come here themselves. This would not be, um, something that people would pay for, for their pets. Dogs would come and they would use my service whenever they wanted to, uh, have you seen this show or... You haven't seen it, but have you heard of this show, Wife Swap? No, but by the title, I you can the guess the the uh, plot of the show. Yeah. So this is a reality show where two wives would swap families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is my business. I have seen it. I have seen it. They had it on Polish TV. And what is it called in Polish? Jona. I don't know. No, I wasn't that much into it. I just uh-huh. recall my mom watching it. Okay, so the dogs will come to me whenever they want to do a dog swap. Uh-huh. And so I will disguise the dogs to look like each other so that they can swap family. I think whenever dogs want to disguise themselves, 
They just roll around in pools. They're not. The, the people do not smell the dogs to say who's who. Did you 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 do you think you could recognize your your dog by smell? Mm. <laughs> Five minutes of dead air. <laughs> it's not a hard question. Probably not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't think I would be able to recognize you by smell. Would you be able to recognize me just by smelling? Mm, not as well as uh, someone else that we work with. Probably if you. What do you mean? <laughs> Remember that day? Uh, he recognized that you had changed perfume. Yeah, that was strange. But I think if you just smell food, chances are it's me. I usually smell like food. I don't think that's true. Yeah, my favorite perfume. I don't think you're getting it on yourself. Cotton candy, but I like my 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 current perfumes are cotton candy, sugar plum, and if I if I saw like a caramel perfume, I would buy it. A Snickers perfume that would be nice. Brown tea. So now you know, if you want to uh, meet Milena in person, just look for the smell of cotton candy plums. Oh, it varies. One day it's cotton candy, other day it's a sugar plum. Mm -hmm. In the summer it's uh, a lemon sometimes. Lemon or green tea. These are perfumes? Yes. I don't know why I buy perfumes. I could probably just roll around in food. My perfume doesn't smell like anything in particular. It must smell. It's probably a mixture of smells. Maybe you could identify it. Musk. Smell, smell the back of my ear. I always put perfume on I the back want, of my ear. I don't want to. That's rude. It's like, I'll smell here. It's like, you know you're not gonna like it. <laughs> That's not true. I told you, I have cologne there. You only smell cologne. I, I feel this conversation... Well, take the challenge. Has gone on for too long. Why are, why are we're, we're playing game? this. We're, we're playing this um, good mythical morning style game where <laughs> we smell the backs of each other's ears. Smell here. What can it's seeing what it is. There. Yeah, it's like a cheese and fish head today. I'm so happy I didn't smell you there. <laughs> okay, so so let's get to work. Um, so as we said, we're we're talking about some things that we did this week in class that worked well and things that didn't work. Um, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yes, I want to start with a funny thing. So that happened in my class with absolute beginners. You're lovely and Anya, if you're listening, probably you aren't, but you're great and you're one of my favorite students. But you should have just not said who it was. Uh, okay, it might be Anya, but maybe not. Might be uh, Manya. Anyway, she Danya. was she was reading a text, and she was supposed to say um, it was a text about a country, uh, and th there is a population of three hundred thousand. But she ended up saying that the population was three hundred thousand. I've already heard this joke, of course, but yeah, that's very good. It was my last lesson uh, on a very long and tiring day, so I just kept giggling uh, until the end of the lesson, especially when she was talking to me, and I felt really bad for her, because I, I, think, I think she kind of felt discouraged, and I hate when it happens. I, it's, my goal is quite the opposite thing, but I just couldn't help myself. 
Yeah, it's a very fine line. Um, I'm pulling out your hair so I can get to the back of your ear, the the best part of the human. Um, (laughs) um, The... It's it's important to uh, laugh and um, Jesus. Uh, it's laugh a, with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, the laugh with Jesus. It's difficult to decide when it's um, useful laughter and when it's discouraging laughter. You know, like I I always have trouble with this too. Like if if a student makes a funny mistake, is it going to make the class more fun to? Uh, laugh about it, which is sometimes true, or is it going to discourage the student, you know? I don't know. What I think you err on the side of laughing about it. It depends, really. It depends on the person. But now I remembered another really funny thing, and I couldn't really tell that to my students, because it was a group of uh, very serious middle-aged people. Uh... And uh, again, absolute beginners, this lady was reading a text, and the text said, uh, it was about spending free time. The text read, if you have uh, a few free hours, uh, you should do this. But she said, if you have a few free horse, (laughs) you should do this. (laughs) Yeah, I had the same sort of reaction whenever I was teaching about... uh, housework because I always say chores you know mm-hmm. but whenever you write chores on the board uh, <laughs> phonetically it, it looks like horse yeah. so I was asking for a list of horse that they do <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> on the weekend maybe <laughs> what horse do you do what <laughs> horse does your mother do <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are your what horse do you like to do and what horse do you not like to do? Yes, it's good. This was the question. Yeah, yeah it's good to have a, a household horse list. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, the the ideal situation, in my opinion, is um, if you are the butt of the joke more often than um, they are. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Like it's it's very easy for me to to accomplish this because you know <laughs> I um, am very bad with Polish and also I'm not that good with English either. You know, it's like um, sometimes I don't know <laughs> which which rule is right and mm-hmm. which rule is wrong. You know, um, but the the thing that uh, happened to me this week that was kind of funny was um, I was talking about this construction. I want to go to the park, or I want to uh, eat lunch in the restaurant, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was telling them, you know, this is, the the common mistake is to leave out the infinitive verb, you know. Just say, I want to park, you know, I want to cinema. And so I was telling them, you know, it's the same as Polish, you know, uh, Lubiel, or rather this is like, Hatsau, each, 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 parku, parka, parkau. Do parku. Do parku, tak. So I was trying to make this construction myself, so I said Hatsau. Um, and then I was trying to remember this verb for go that's something like yedge. Yeah? Yedge, yedge. Go? Tak, as, as for drive. Go? 
Yeah, Hutch. Yeah, Hutch. Okay. So uh, I let them provide it for me, and of course I got uh, Yesch. Mm-hmm. So I had Kutsal Yesch Cinema. Kina. Kina. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so I had written, uh, I want to eat the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and of course everyone laughed, you know. Mm-hmm. In my case, I feel that it's very helpful when I am being silly myself. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything in particular to say right now, but... Yeah, you never make mistakes. I never make mistakes, so it's very difficult for me to feel your uh, situation. But please cut that out. That <laughs> sounded really bad. You sounded mad? Bad. Bad? In what way? Big-headed. Michael Jackson way? Big-headed. Big-headed. No, seriously, cut that out. It's helpful when you show them that it's okay to just laugh at yourself. Because then when they make a funny mistake, it's okay when other people laugh at them. I do not find that many mistakes that funny. I don't know. Like, um, a common mistake, of course, is saying he for she or, or mm-hmm. she for he or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, some people find it funny. I, I do not really. But Maybe it's Polish humor because I find it hilarious when you say kupiłam. Yeah. Like a woman says... I bought, so like, I am a, it's as if Russell was saying, I am a woman who bought this. Yeah, I think maybe uh, America has moved past this gender thing a little bit, you know? Mm, like More I, developed. Yeah, or maybe just me personally. I have this weird thing, um, mm-hmm. like, I remember I was reading some fairy tales. This is a weird story, but I was reading some fairy tales at one point in the past, and, um, as a child, or no, as a, um, a young adult. Oh, uh, sure. And um, I always got prince and princess mixed up. I don't know. They they look really similar in writing. So it's just it's easy to say one for the other. I just don't really notice which one it is. You know. Um, Do you know what my gender is? Yeah, I, I think so. But oh, um, you're really putting me on the spot here. So I'll, I'll answer later. Okay. So maybe let's move on now to um, something that uh, we've done and uh, we regret. Oh, something we regret. Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you like to start? Sure, sure. I'll start. I I have two things. So uh, one thing I have, I I always like to um, try to make the pacing of the lesson um, nice. You know, it's like um, sometimes you have many... um, difficult things that you're doing that day like you'll have a, a listening and you'll have a text and you'll have some grammar exercise that you want to do so sometimes I try to add in some kind of thing that I'm, I'm not even sure if it will really be that useful for them so far as like learning I'm not sure it's the best use of time but it's just something to give them some kind of a break from very intense work and so I thought that it would be a nice idea to have like a scavenger hunt for the text. So to find some things in the text, you know, and I... Oh, not like around the classroom? No, no, okay. no, no. Just some, because they're about to read this text and answer some questions about it. So I figured, okay, so what is a very uh, simple and easy way to begin interacting with this text, you know? And um, the text was about, what was it about, I don't remember what the text was about, 
but I had them finding um, all of the numbers in the text, uh, any conjunctions that were used, any pronouns that were used, and places in the text. And um, so I thought, okay, so this will be a quick activity. It'll just take a couple minutes. And it ended up taking like five or six minutes, and um, it wasn't really very useful. You know what I mean? And I don't think it was even um, easier or more fun <laughs> for them than just reading the text. But it was different. It was different from regular exercises they were doing that day. Yeah, the, the trouble is they took it too seriously, you know? And so they were putting all this effort into um, completing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if I did it again in the future, and I really kind of think this is could be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Like, I, whenever I have a listening text, I have some um, things that I will sometimes do with the listening. Like, sometimes we will play uh, bingo with it, where they, they mark whenever they hear words, and they try to make a bingo. This, oh, this works cool. pretty well, yeah, because it's it's easy, and it, it introduces, preloads some of the words for them. So this is pretty good. Sometimes I will have them, uh, whenever they hear an example of maybe the verb form that they're learning that day, mm -hmm. they will write it, and then uh, their partner will throw it into throw it into the basket. Okay. That's pretty good. So I, I would really like to have something similar for text, mm -hmm. you know? Because I always feel awkward just saying, okay, now we're going to read a text, you know? Mm -hmm. And having no kind of um, interaction with it. You know? How do you introduce a text whenever you have a text? I usually say, now we're going to read a text. Uh -huh. But I usually do some follow-up activities after it. I never know. Do you tell them what they're going to read about? Sometimes. Usually I use a, a lead-in. So if the text is about holidays... They will have a minute or two to discuss their last holidays or their holiday plans or holiday disasters, mm -hmm. something like that. So, like, to compare what we've said with what's in the text. But not always, to be honest. Yeah, this is a good idea, I think. To have some conversational activity, this mm -hmm. is a good idea. But the, the scavenger hunt, I may try it again. But it will need to be much shorter and simpler. You know, something more related to the goals of the lesson that day. And then, then I think it really can work, you know. Like find all of the words connected to uh, the body or something. If it's maybe a lesson about the body, you know. So this was, it, I felt really stupid afterwards. Because <laughs> the other thing was I didn't have any... Um, Thing that I was doing with the scavenger hunt, you know, we didn't really, there's no point in going over it afterwards, you know, I just asked them, yeah, how many did you find, <laughs> you know, and then they answered, and that was it. So then I say, yeah, so that was fun, so now let's go back to doing whatever we've been doing. This is a good strategy, yeah, I should tell them when something is fun, yeah. I, this never occurred to me before. Yeah, hey, great, good job. That was really fun, guys. It's <laughs> a great idea, yeah. We need to start telling people when we've done a fun thing. Yeah, or before. Now we're going to do. Something now we're going to have fun. I like that. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but I always um, feel awkward telling people that we're about to play a game. Why? 
Because if they're adults, or even if they're teenagers, you know, because teenagers like to feel like adults, um, sometimes I feel like they are not going to be receptive to a game, you know? So, so I will call it something else, like a exercise or some um, real practice or an activity. In my experience, I actually, I did have one guy. Uh, he was like a boss... Uh, of a computer company and he resigned because we were playing too many games. Well, that was one He resigned person. from the company? No, no, he resigned <laughs> from the course. He resigned from the course because we were playing too many games. Wow. But, like, it's strange that he did that because people usually enjoy games. Like, you're an adult and we have a cupboard full of board games and card games. And video games. Mm -hmm. This is true. Yeah. So do you want to tell me about something that didn't work with you? Yeah, my mistake was writing too much on homework. So I had this lesson with uh, only women. There are six ladies in the group. And there was a text that I asked them to read and do a small activity based on that. And later on, I didn't want to spend too much time during the lesson on reading the text. But still, the, the further exercises needed information from the text. And I assumed they would do their homework, which they didn't. So it was kind of awkward, me asking questions like, oh, who went by car? And basically me answering those questions. Mm -hmm. Because like they couldn't find it in the text. And our lesson is only 60 minutes once a week. That's why I, I was hoping they would do half of the work at home, which they did not. All in all, I think it went fine. It wasn't as bad, but it didn't go according to my plan. Yeah, this is the worst whenever um, you realize you are asking people, asking your students some questions that they don't have the answers for and they're not going to get them easily. You know, yeah. sometimes you just give up and you just end up giving them some answers, you know. Yeah, or a thing I, I did was I narrowed down. Okay, this is in section yeah. A, line 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell them, oh, it's it's here in the text. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. and, and sometimes, somehow, I think one hour is surprisingly, it's it's not a good amount of time for a lesson. Like, not for a group. Whenever I started teaching, I always saw an hour and a half. This is a long time for mm -hmm. one lesson, but actually an hour somehow you just it's very difficult like you know talking about pacing like it, it's very difficult to make a very nice balanced lesson in an hour of time how long are lessons at school in america in um school before college uh -huh. usually shy of an hour like 50 minutes or something really yeah. here um it's always 45 minutes Mm -hmm. Like primary school until high school. Mm -hmm. It's 45 minutes. At university, it's 90. At university, um, where I went, it depended on how many times you met a week. And it was either, it could be an hour and 15 minutes or it could be an hour and 50 minutes. Strange. Yeah. Okay, so what's a good thing uh, did you do this week? Okay. So I have some more bad things as well. Oh, we did. Um, I'm trying to think. What was I? Oh, this. Um, 
uncountable words thing. For me, this was this was a very big deal for me because I, I had no idea what useful information I could give her about this because I was looking at this. Like, first of all, the, the lesson, this is in um, Speak Out Upper Intermediate book. And in the lesson, for some reason, they paired uncountable nouns with nouns that are usually plural, such as uh, facilities, um, goodness, what, stairs, glasses, things like this. And I, I didn't really see the point in putting those two together. Because you say furniture is, but stairs are. Yeah, okay, so I, I can see that. Yeah. Maybe that's true. But um, I didn't really know what help to give her about... Um, how to know when a noun should be, when you should use an uncountable noun, you know. It's, it seemed like you just have to memorize them. Am I wrong? Like you just have to know which nouns are uncountable. Well, it depends on the level, like the lowest with food. It's uncountable nouns are usually the things that you don't really count individually. That if you want to count, you have to use like bottles or bags or... Like rice, you don't really buy individual grains of rice. You buy like a kilogram or a, a packet or whatever. So whenever you have to specify how much of it you want, you can go to a store and say, can I have one orange? Can I have an orange? You can buy one orange, but not really one rice. Oh, this is useful, I think. It, it's useful to tell someone this. Or just give them a list, like liquids, masses, uh, abstract ideas. Like mm -hmm. information, mm -hmm. uh, like advice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, this would probably be useful for her. I, I never had to think about mm. what things are uncountable before, so I did not know what to tell her beyond what, um, beyond just to make a note of the things that were uncountable and uh, revise them again. For higher levels, for people who um, have been exposed to... Um, a good amount of English, you can just say that if a plural of that noun seems strange, like furnitures, mm -hmm. then it's uncountable. Ju just by thinking that mm -hmm. it sounds strange, but you you have to... You have to have had enough exposure to, to correct English to be able to, to get that. Yeah, this is very helpful. So what about something that worked well for you this week? Um... Maybe not this week, but something that I have developed uh, this year, this academic year, and I'm amazed by how well it works. Uh, I'm still going to talk about it a little bit more in the next part of this podcast. So I'm not going to go into detail here, but whenever I have a, a communication exercise in which students just talk about their preferences, their routines, like even when they have a list of questions they have to ask each other uh, for each utterance I ask them to ask a follow-up question so for example if um, what time do you get up uh, if that is the question and the person answers oh, I get up at six o'clock uh, there has to be a follow-up question like do you like it do you like mornings so, uh, for each activity, I ask them to ask one more follow-up question. I give them some ideas, like to start the question from where, how, uh, why. Like, wh why do you get up at 6 o'clock? Yeah, I 
did something similar one time in a class. Like we were talking about some question forms. Um, I think that you know most textbooks will start with some kind of chapter where everyone is learning some language for getting to know one another. This particular day, I told them, you know, we're working on uh, question chains, so you have to ask two follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. you know? And really, it, this is a, one of the most mind-blowing things um, for me from my experience as an English teacher is how much information, um, how much depth there is whenever people ask follow-up questions. It's mm -hmm. like somehow just knowing that you need to produce one or two more questions, like you go so much deeper into uh, people's preferences and personalities than you would in just normal conversation like somehow whenever I am just trying to um, chat with someone like this stuff never comes up like it, it's mind-blowing to me like um, I remember one group it was uh, two students there that day and he asked him uh, something very simple like what do you do on your uh, what do you use your computer for you know or no it was even simple than that it was like when do you use your computer and then from there it got to like um, what do you do with it and um, then it got to like um, do you are you interested in history or something huh. and then it's like um, what uh, what did you read about recently but anyways yeah it's there's it's really magical this uh, <laughs> follow-up question thing. And just language-wise and fluency-wise, most of the lessons and activities I have seen so far make people produce very artificial questions. Like yeah. It's not spontaneous, it's just, it's not really helpful. And also, students hardly ever have to ask questions during the lesson. Like, the teacher is the one who asks questions, and the textbook is the source of questions. They only answer questions, and furthermore, they hardly ever listen to each other, yeah. because they don't have to react. And whenever I like, began being sort of fluent in English, just having a conversation with someone was so tiring for me, because I had to actually listen to what the person was saying, and I much preferred talking myself. It was so much easier to just give a monologue to someone, instead of trying to understand what this person is saying and trying to react accordingly. This is very difficult. Yeah, it's true. So actually they are um, quite a big challenge to find the information in the response to make the follow-up question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But after, it will be difficult at first because people will not know how to form questions, people will not know what to ask about. People are not... Maybe it's different in other countries, but I uh, like... It, it's uncomfortable whenever you're getting questions, like personal questions. But it's a language lesson. You don't have to tell the truth. I always say that you don't have to tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to tell me what you eat for breakfast, because you eat something embarrassing, I don't know. It's fine if you lie, but I want you to, to answer the questions. Yeah, this is a good point to remind your students that uh, they have the option to lie, because uh, that might be more interesting and doesn't really matter to anyone if they're telling the truth or not. I think that um, students get very inhibited by having to talk about topics that are um, 
not even just embarrassing, but things that they feel um, their response would be boring about, you know? Or too personal. Yeah, too personal is true, but more, more often, like, uh, just they don't have uh, anything much to say about it. You know, I, mm. I think that this stops people more than anything. Even me, I think that I have a big problem with this. Whenever um, I'm trying to have a conversation with a student and I don't have very much to say, I think this is the biggest uh, roadblock for me. You know, yeah, it's really difficult to work with people who don't have an answer to like what kind of music do you like who's your favorite actor mm -hmm. like, well i don't have a favorite actor <laughs> like so here the yeah, conversation like, stops yeah it's like what they don't realize is no one has a favorite actor like you have some actors you like mm -hmm. and some people are just better at saying oh, i'll choose one of those and i'll say yeah. it you know yeah. It's like um, some people just take uh, take these things much too literally, I think. Or they are afraid of being judged. That, oh, what if I choose an actor that is not the best actor in the world and people will think I don't have a good taste. Yeah, this is true. Or, you know, I can, I can really identify with this myself because I have a lot of trouble with conversation. And, for instance... Um, Sometimes I think, oh, I would, I would like to ask them about uh, what they have been, what they've watched recently or something mm -hmm. like this, you know, and they will tell me about something, and it's, it's something that I haven't seen, so I can ask them some more about it, and they'll tell me about this show or something. It's always a pretty good uh, source of conversation, but if it were the other way around, and it were something that I had watched that wasn't popular that they hadn't watched you know sometimes it's it doesn't seem like a good topic of conversation like it's interesting how we are so often going for like mutual shared experience you know uh -huh. what i mean it's like if it is not something that you both enjoy or that you both have experienced then the conversation just dies you know and direct the attention to other people in the group mm -hmm. ask have you guys seen it? Oh, what kind of a film is it? Oh, it's an action film. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy action films? Why yes, why not? What was a good, like, similar film that you have seen? Yeah, yeah, this is true. It, it's very difficult to get um, outside of just normal uh, gut reaction like conversation and mm -hmm. to uh, become like this kind of manager of conversations, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, something that, that worked for me this week, it's not really a big deal. Um, it was no big breakthrough in terms of what I did, but this was um, a big win for me because this was a group uh, that I haven't really done a lot of nice things with this year. We have this book about oil and gas production and it's kind of like one of these things, you know, where the first day that we worked with this book, it was like really wonderful. Like there was this really nice activity. We were looking at how solar stills work. So this was how um, this device works that you can make to uh, capture water if you're in the desert, you know. Mm. And there's this nice diagram. There were lots of uh, words that were new to them um, revolving around chemical processes or something, you know. I wonder how are you able to explain the words, the words revolving around chemical processes? How do you explain 
the vocabulary. Well, it's nothing so difficult as like um, I don't know, like um, gosh, it's been so long since I've had a chemistry class, but it's nothing so difficult as like covalent bonds or something. It's just more like like evaporation or something like. Uh -huh. Um, they they have no experience with their verb evaporation, but it's very easy to say that it is whenever water becomes uh, not liquid water, not drinkable water, but it becomes like air. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Evaporate, yeah. We share this group, and I saw this book, and I am so happy that I don't have to work with it. Mm -hmm. Because just the first page, I looked at it, and I had so many words I had to translate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just to understand it myself. Yeah, but you know, this is a good thing in a way, because it's lots of um, opportunities for learning some new things for them, you know. But uh, as we've been using it, it's um, turned out to be a lot of um, Arab oil executives... Okay. Talking about some uh, business problems they're having, and then it will be some text and some um, kind of obvious um, advice about how to talk about this thing or that thing. And it, it, it's boring for everyone, I think, at times. You know, mm -hmm. it is. Sometimes you find an English book that has a um, very good structure where there are lots of fun things, lots of uh, useful things. Because the level is way too lower, way too low. The level of this book is pre-intermediate, while they are advanced. I wouldn't say it's a pre-intermediate book. It grammatically, yes, grammar-wise, it mm -hmm. is pre-intermediate. But it seems, in some ways, to be intermediate to upper intermediate. So yeah, this is probably if there's an issue with not enough um, useful information for them. But anyway, so I had some uh, exercises about delegation and uh, what language to use for delegation. And uh, I decided to create my own conversation activity where they had uh, they got a card with a task that they needed to accomplish. And then everyone got a profession. Okay. So uh, these texts were, these uh, tasks were something like um, survive on a deserted island, um, create a TV program together, um, raise a child together, um, rob a bank. Um, I don't remember what else. Mm -hmm. And so, and then of course the jobs were just stock jobs like doctor, model, teacher, um, accountant, etc. So they had to look at their task and then delegate to everyone else what they could do to help with the task, you know. It's uh -huh. like, okay, could you, um, um, for instance, the bank robber, um, this was, so she, she asked the doctor to simply get some gloves, <laughs> you know, so that yeah. their fingerprints wouldn't be revealed. Uh, she asked the model to um, distract the <laughs> security guards. Yeah. Um, she asked the engineer, but luckily there was an engineer, to, um, I don't remember, something about the surveillance cameras. She wanted her to check the surveillance cameras, you know. And so they used this language that they had from the delegation activity to speak about these things. Mm -hmm. And... Um, then afterwards, they I had some other language about updating progress for an activity, you know, uh, mm -hmm. updating 
getting updates about an ongoing uh, task or something. And I got this from the um, business results upper intermediate textbook. And so then they just checked back to see how the, how it was going with the things. And I was a little worried about how this would go because I thought maybe it would be repetitive. But actually, it worked very well because um, they... At the, in the beginning, they felt a little awkward about uh, what they're supposed to be doing, um, getting into this whole idea of role playing uh, because we hadn't done it so much in this class and uh, getting some ideas about, OK, what can I have this person do? And then by the time they got to the updates, they were um, really sold on hmm. what they were doing, you know, uh-huh. and so this actually generated a lot of like fun conversation and um, quips and um, really nice um, role play, you know, uh-huh. and, and so I was very happy about this, you know. Yeah, what I really like about uh, your style of work is m- many, many teachers just rely on available materials, whatever the teacher's book gives us or whatever is on the internet. Like you sit down, you look what you have and you just create a game like you write your own tasks you write your own role-playing games that's really really cool a lot of times they don't work very well at all like um i had a thing that i wanted to do with my teenage group this week we are we were learning um directions telling directions like uh in terms of turn left turn right go straight on, Um, it's on your right, it's on your left, these things, you know, it's elementary level group. And so I thought there should be a way to take a grid, um, like, you know, uh, lines going left and right, lines going up and down, and get and basically do an information gap activity. Uh Like, you know uh, what the uh, line on the grid looks like to make a shape or or an image and the other person uh, doesn't know and so you tell them okay start here which I had a center dot and then go straight on three blocks because uh-huh. we learned blocks as uh-huh. well um, turn right go straight on two blocks turn uh-huh. left go straight on one block uh-huh. etc and so I tried to get them to do this and I had even found uh, on the internet th- the reason that I thought that we could do this is I saw uh, on some news website where a cyclist had done this with Google Maps. Like He basically recorded his path that he rode his bike through the city and he made with his path images of things like Darth Vader and uh, a cat and some other things, you know, Mm -hmm. just through the path that he made through the streets. And so I thought, okay, so we should be able to do this. And I found an activity that a teacher had done with a similar thing. She had uh, made all the directions to draw a dog in a grid pattern, you know. Okay. And so I made a turtle, and it was uh, very simple. And um, I gave them all the directions, you know, one by one to draw the same turtle. Mm-hmm. And um, for one thing, it takes a lot of directions to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even a very, very simple thing. You're turning and moving like 20 times or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, then also, if you make one mistake, then your your drawing is not going to look like a turtle. And, you know, this yeah. is the biggest thing is like you actually have to design activities where it's difficult to fail, you know. Mm-hmm. 
But but yeah, this was basically a complete failure because they did not, none of them successfully uh, made the turtle. Uh, it's very confusing to think about because, okay, so you're already, you are um, trying to remember these directions that are in a different language from yours. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to translate them or interpret them. But also you are trying to keep yourself oriented properly because I say turn right, but this depends on which uh, direction you're facing already. Mm-hmm in a kind of virtual plane, you know, yeah. so, so this didn't work. And also it just took much too long, you know. Yeah, there are many nice ideas and activities for directions, mm-hmm. but they are usually such great undertakings that I have never tried them. I mean, I try, um, usually I am from the same city as my students, so I uh, let's say I give them directions and they have to tell me where they ended up. So, for example, okay, so I, I would say uh, you're walking out of the school, turn right, walk around the building, um, go straight, uh, go down the stairs, then turn right, and like you end up in a cafe. Mm-hmm. So I do this. But they usually sound uh, what you've done and similar exercises where people have to combine maps to find treasure and things like that. They always sound like a great idea that to me seems too big to work out. Maybe I I am still to try this out. Yeah, I think a general rule that I found whenever you are designing or um, planning to use an activity someone else has designed is if you have to think too hard about it to make it or to figure out how it works and it will never work mm-hmm. you know yeah. like uh with the same group the same lesson um we also did a much simpler activity where uh i began a map on the on the dry erase board by drawing some streets just some a few like three or four going up and down three or four going left and right and i drew a park and i drew a man like a stick figure man and I asked them what to name the man. Mm-hmm. And this was the first big thing that I learned is like teenagers, at least, like naming a thing like this yeah. is like the most fun and exciting thing yeah. they can do in the world. Like they ended up naming this guy Marcus. But for some reason, naming him Marcus was gave them so much joy. Yeah. And then they also got to name the city, of course. And so uh, Marcus lived in Unicornville. Oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah, the funny thing was the first uh, idea for a name was hotel. <laughs> hotel. <laughs> yes, hotel. Uh, this was very nice student who was also learning uh, German at the same time, and uh-huh. her her English is not that good, so uh, she just thought of uh, an English word she knew. You know, it's, huh. this is the one, the first one that came to her head. Uh, anyway, so. But it wasn't hot dog. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, pizza. So I had the I made the streets and I drew the park and we talked about of course so where's Mark how does Marcus need to go to get to the park oh he goes straight on two blocks he turns right it's on his left it's right here so then I drew Marcus at the park and then uh, I had them draw not draw I had them pick from a uh, basically cards um, I had a list of other places. So they would come up, they would pick a card, and then they'd look at the card. It would say, like, a supermarket, cinema, whatever. They would draw it. Everyone else would say, oh, I think he drew a cinema. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So it has this nice thing. Okay, you get to draw something. You get to pick where it is. You're designing this city that we made. Mm -hmm. um, everyone else gets this, has this game aspect of guessing what it was you drew. Mm -hmm. And this worked very nicely. And there was no planning for this, really. I just thought, okay, this is probably the best way to do this. Mm -hmm. And then basically in the spur of the moment, we just did it that way. And this thing... Because it was so simple, but at the same time had so many opportunities for uh, interaction and creativity, mm -hmm. it, it worked very well. Yeah, yeah, sounds really cool. Okay, so moving on, uh, the last part of our today's podcast is just discussing a grammar aspect, a language aspect uh, that we have some tips on. And uh, so something that I think I have developed quite well is question formation, like I mentioned before. Uh, so what I do uh, with lower levels, because higher levels usually need uh, work on accuracy, because probably they will skip certain parts of a question. But in order to teach it to like absolute beginners or elementary students, I usually use color-coded cards where each word or each part of a question uh, is a different color. So for example, where, who, what music and so on will be one color. Uh, auxiliary verbs and to be will be the same color. Because the, the biggest issue is that uh, very often you will hear, uh, who do you be? <laughs> mm -hmm. Or who do you are? Mm -hmm. So I want to show them that like they cannot use twice the same color in a question. So it's either is or do as an auxiliary. And then like the, the person so that they can picture where everything goes in the sentence. Uh, to make them realize that do can be both, let's say, green for an auxiliary and... Uh, let's say pink for just just a normal verb describing mm -hmm. an action so how do you do is a perfectly correct question so that's one thing another thing that i do with questions is playing a game uh, i don't know we call it here like battleships do you know what battleships are russell yeah we call it battleships as well yeah so uh, there is a grid but instead of going A, B, C, D, like one, two, three, four, like diagonally, vertically and horizontally, uh, instead of letters A, B, C, D, I will have uh, you, Bob, uh, my sister, uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, your parents, or things like that, like people, sub subjects, mm -hmm. subjects of the sentence, of the questions, and instead of numbers, uh, I will have, let's say, uh, be good at English, uh, can bake cookies, uh, watch television. So then they have to ask, instead of going uh, C8, they have to ask, uh, do you watch television every evening? And if it's a hit, if they have their battleship there, they have to answer yes, like yes I do. Uh, but if it's a miss, if they don't have the battleship there, they have to say, no, I don't. So this way, uh, they drill the questions. They don't really focus on what the questions mean, but I feel it really helps when your question just comes out naturally without mu thinking much about it. And if you have repeated certain types of questions, let's say 20 times, then you're more likely to remember it. Yeah, it, it might even be better when they're not thinking about the 
meaning of the question, you know. It's something to more just feel the um the form flow. of it. Yeah, yeah, the flow, how mm-hmm. how they should flow. And yeah, and later on to focus on uh, what it means and to use the questions in natural way. Uh, they always have to ask uh, follow up questions for each communication activity. Whenever anyone says something, they have to ask a follow up question. Okay. So this has been ESL Teacher Pop. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.